All right, all right. Sounds like we could have this conversation for a long time. But who here said it's harder to put up with a squeaky shopping cart? Couple, quite a few over in this section. Okay, who said it's harder to put up with a squeaky wheel? Oh wow, a dripping faucet, sorry, my bad. Okay, sounds like dripping faucet might win by a hair. But both are pretty hard to put up with. Um, and yet, there's harder things to put up with like people. I don't know about you, I have a hard time with people than drippy faucets some days. Some people are liking to drippy faucets. But we all showed up here together, whether you're here in person, whether you couldn't quite make it in person, so you're still putting up with me online, watching, joining us from home. We're glad, I'm glad that we get to be here together. And we get to dig into the topic of putting up with one another and what that means, what that looks like. And before we get into that, I just want to say on a side note, some of you guys have heard that I've had, I've had a bit a crazy week. My wife has had a much crazier week. Uh, she had some surgery, part of the recovery from having our baby Piper. And some of you guys have said that you're praying for us. Some of you guys have showed up with meals. Some of you have run errands for us and just done everything you can to help us. And we really appreciate that. Um, it makes it a lot easier. It makes life a lot better. It also means that I actually managed to prep a sermon this morning. It might not be the best one ever, but it got written, which is pretty awesome. All that being said, we're going to jump into our message this morning. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. And my Bible, it's funny, my translation, the NLT that I normally preach out of, doesn't use the one another phrase. So we're going to read it out of NIV. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In the middle of that, there's a bit, in our one another series, we're looking at where does it say one another? It says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. And whenever I've read the phrase bearing with one another, first off, I think of a grizzly bear mauling somebody, and I'm like, that's not bearing with one another to maul each other like bears. Okay. And then I think of, okay, so basically put up with each other, right? Bear with it. Grit your teeth and bear it, right? Just put up with each other. So I, that's the sermon, put up with each other. We can go home. Wrong. It's always there's more. God doesn't give us simple things. He gives us better things. And when it comes to putting up with one another, the actual sermon this morning is called Quit Putting Up With One Another. I want you to quit putting up with your wife or your husband. I want you to quit putting up with your kids. I want you to quit putting up with your coworkers. You know that one coworker? I want you to quit putting up with them. I want you to quit putting up with your pastor. I'm not saying which one of your pastors you're putting up with, but I want you to quit putting up with your pastor, or both of us, let's be real. We're both a handful. And when I thought, when it, because when it comes to putting up with things, first I thought of what it's like to put up with something that's not a human. And I grew up, to people that grew up on farms, I didn't grow up on a farm, but to people that didn't grow up on a farm, I grew up on a farm. Because I grew up on like an acreage and we had a few cows and a, a mini horse and some goats and stuff. And when you have animals, you have fences. 
And when you build a fence, you always think you did it really well. Well, hopefully you think you did it really well. But you can build the best fence you ever thought you built. And you come by a month later, and you notice that your fence has actually got some faults to it. And it's not quite as good of a fence as you thought you built. Maybe the post is tipping over a little bit. Maybe the wire's not got the tension it needs on it to be as sturdy as it be so like it starts to wiggle a little. It's just not as good of a fence as you thought. There's a lot of ways that building a fence can go wrong, unfortunately. I've learned this. And if you're me, when you see a fence that you thought you built right, that now it's not quite as good as you thought, and there's some faults with it, what you do is you put up with it. And by putting up with it, I mean when I walk through the pasture, I kind of like I'm walking along and then I like curve around so I don't have to actually see it. And if I make the mistake of seeing it, I kind of try to forget it as fast as I can. And if anybody is else who knows what fences are supposed to look like comes by, I make sure they don't go anywhere near it. I just put up with it. And eventually, if you put up with something long enough, whether it's a thing or a person, it blows up on you or you blow up on it. At some point, especially if you have goats, they come over to the fence and they're like, so are there any faults in this fence? Oh, yep, there is. And they push on it and they lean on it and eventually they go through it and they find greener pastures in your neighbor's you know, golf course. We live next to a golf course. It was a problem, especially when the cows got on it. But anyways, putting up with stuff Normally, you put up with it until it blows up or you blow up. And it gets a lot worse with humans because there's a human that I put up with at one point. And I think most of us have had jobs. And unfortunately, we're not the only person at our job. There's another person or two or 10 or 20 at our job. And we call them coworkers. And sometimes you find yourself putting up with coworkers. Um, there was a point that I had a coworker, and they were actually really good to work with. But then they got put in a different role. And when they got put into this different role, suddenly a bunch of their faults started to show up. I started to go, man, this person has a lot of faults. They have a lot of sin in their life. Man, they're not a perfect human. Funny. But it was really frustrating. It was really difficult. And my, coworker, my other coworkers and I were like, I guess we have to put up with them. And there was a point at which we knew how much longer they were going to be working for our organization. We're like, okay. And we started counting down the days. We'd pass each other in the hall and say, 59 more days, 27 more days, eight more days. And you get to the point of their goodbye party, and it's a little bit too much of a party. Because we've been putting up with them. We had been avoiding, like, you know when you try to avoid anything becoming them becoming part of it. And so we try to avoid doing projects with them. We try to avoid having them get involved in things. And if we did have to do something with them, we kind of grit our teeth and bear it and suffer through it and look forward to getting done. And it was really unfortunate because this person is actually an awesome person and I had a good friendship with them. And as I put up with them, I started to lose the friendship and the relationship with them. As I and my coworkers had a culture of putting up with them, it was not good for the culture of our group. It was not good for our community. And also, it was not great for our work. And so putting up became a problem. 
And you're like, Michael, I don't know what it's like to put up with people, right? I don't have a spouse that I love them and I fell in love with them. And I saw they had a few faults, but I was like, I can put up with them. But then you find that that whole, like, maybe they just chew too loudly. I don't know, that was me. Um, Maybe they just do things the wrong way. Maybe they cut onions the wrong way. That's my wife. She cuts onions the wrong way. And it's these things that you're like, I can just put up with it. And you put up with it for years. And then like 5, 10, 15, I'm guessing 20 years in, at some point, you're ready to blow up with them. Instead of putting up with them, you're blowing up with them about these little tiny things and these faults, let alone the big things. And we run into it. We put up with people at work. We put up with people at home. We put up with our kids sometimes. My kids put up with me already. Ivers figured out how good I am at singing, and he does not. He puts up with it. And so in Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus about this issue. And he says, bear with one another. Put up, and you think, put up with each other, right? But I think that we know that when we put up with each other, it doesn't do good things. It turns into avoidance. It turns sometimes into some pride. You kind of, when I was putting up with my coworker, I was not having a humble attitude towards them. I would definitely have a little bit of pride, as I said, 29 more days. There was an element of pride in that, and it did so much damage. But we learn how to put up with people really early. When you're two, three years old, you learn how to put up with your dad's singing, and put up with your dad's driving, and put up with your dad's whatever. And so as humans, we start with a baseline of putting up with each other. And Paul is going, there's more to it than that. Putting up with each other is just the default. But God actually has something better for us, for our community, for how we treat one another, how we live with one another than putting up with each other. So let's read through it, looking for what God might have to say that's a little bit more than just putting up with each other. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. So Paul's writing, he's actually been imprisoned for preaching, for teaching, and practicing his faith of following Jesus. So it gives him a little bit of authority to say this. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Us here this morning, we have been called by God to be part of this church community. We've been called by God to follow Jesus together, to love people together as a community, and invite other people to do the same. We've been called by God too. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. I like how the NLT says it, because instead of saying bear with one another, it gives a little bit more clarity. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. You have faults. None of us here come without faults. We have faults. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There's a few words leading up to this. Before it says, bear with one another, make every, or make allowance for each other's faults, it says, be humble, which I would have not been when I put up with people. Be gentle, which often I'm harsh when I'm putting up with somebody, definitely if I get to the point of blowing up with them. And be patient with each other, which is what I always think I am when I'm putting up with someone. Because I'm like, oh, I'm being patient with you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm being patient with you. 
But when I put all those words together, when I see that description and I think of what God might be doing there, I think of when somebody might have actually put up with me. And before I was here, I did some youth pastoring. When you, part of what youth groups often do is they do missions trips where we go and we serve people in a different country. And as part of a church where we drive from Surrey to Medi-Cali, Medico to serve there. And there was a trip where we had about 30 people on this trip. And so we had a bus. And I got my bus license for the trip because that's not sketchy at all. That you, I just got my bus license and now I'm driving 30 people down to Mexico. And I got one of my youth leaders to get their bus license. But, we're, but like, it involved some driving all night. So we needed a third driver. And I was asking around in the church, who knows how to drive a bus? Who might be interested in this? And I was told, talk to Doug. And so I talked to Doug. And Doug, it turns out, has a bus license and can drive a bus. And so I was like, Doug, can you go to Mexico with us? But Doug not only knew how to drive a bus, he'd also led many missions trips with another church to Mexico. And he'd run a company for, quite, for his, most of his career. And he had so much experience. And as, as, as I got to know him, I was like, Doug is far more qualified than me to be running this trip. Let's see how this goes. Have you ever been on a trip where Murphy's Law takes over? Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. This was the missions trip of Murphy's Law. This was the missions trip where over half our team got sick. This was the missions trip where one of the students got bitten by a dog and we had to take them back across the border to get treated in case they got rabies. This is the trip where another student got so dehydrated that we also had to take them back across the border into the States to get treated and get rehydrated before we could drive back north. This was the trip where everything could go wrong. Right as we're getting close to the Canadian border, finally almost home, the bus alternator goes out, and suddenly we're just hoping that the battery survives the last couple hours, and we actually make it back into Canada. And as we're going through this trip, you can imagine Doug watching Michael lead this trip. Doug, who has led many more trips than Michael will ever lead. Doug, who has run companies. Doug, who has double or triple the life experience of Michael. And he sees that Michael has some faults. He sees that Michael has a lot that he, Doug has to put up with. And Doug has some choices. He could put up with me by just avoiding it, just being like, I'm just the bus driver, not my problem. Michael does what Michael does. As long as he gets me home safely and I get fed, I'm fine. Or Doug could be a little bit more proactive and Doug could be like, you know what? Michael's got all these faults. You know what? I'm just going to start to kind of when stuff goes wrong, I'm going to talk to leaders and give a better plan. I'm just going to kind of take over. And I was scared that he might do that. I was like, please don't do this to me, Doug. You could do this, but please don't. And that could be his way of putting up with it. It was just be like, you know what? Let's just shove Michael to the corner and move forward. But instead, Doug chose humility and gentleness and patience. As he watched my faults come out, he chose humility not to point out my faults, but instead to encourage the leaders to see my strengths and to see how God was still using me. And when things went wrong, he didn't jump in and be like, Michael, you should have done it this way. He actually waited and, see, waited and was available if I wanted advice. And with gentleness, he'd be like, yeah, Michael, if you want this to go better, you maybe try doing that. And then he had a lot of patience, a lot of patience. And because of him, 
choosing not to put up with me, but to actually bear with me, to see my faults and see the faults that could kind of make me crumble. But instead of just putting up with me and kind of staying in his lane, he actually chose to support me, to bear me up. When I couldn't bear it because of my faults, he chose to bear me up and support me. If I was a fence with some faults, he was coming in and putting in a few more fence posts to support me. He bore with me in that experience. And that trip went amazingly. I grew as a leader. The students grew. There were some who came to faith through that trip. And if we'd had infighting, if he'd been putting up with me, we would have had infighting. We would have had problems. We would have had division in our community. Instead, God worked powerfully through it. So if you're like, okay, okay, maybe God's tapping me on the shoulder being like, hey, there's somebody you're putting up with right now. It's time to change from putting up with people to bearing with them. It's time to quit. Avoid seeing where somebody at church sits, that person you're putting up with at church, and you're like, if they sit on this side, then I sit on this side. If they sit over here, then I sit over here. If they join that small group, then I join that small group, you know? And God's saying, hey, it's time to start bearing with them. How do we do that? Well, Paul said it. Humility, gentleness, and patience. And there's another one another passage that I love what it says about humility. You don't realize it's teaching you humility, but it's actually teaching you humility. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. If you're struggling to have humility with somebody you're putting up with, go, how can I honor them above myself? Yeah, I can see their fault really clearly, but where can I see their strength? Yes, they've got sin in their life, but they're also creating the image of God, and God has given them gifts and abilities that I don't have. How can I honor them for that? And suddenly you start to find yourself having some humility and some gratitude, and you start to build them up. So that person you're try- that you're putting up with, how can you actually honor them? How can you share with them and with others how God has made them in an amazing way? And then there's gentleness. Gentleness, there's certain people that I dread when they have a gentle voice. Because like, you know, when you're a little kid and you got a scrape, I don't know if anybody, did any of you guys ever have hydrogen peroxide put on your scrapes? A few of you? I feel like now they've got like these things that like actually make it feel better. Hydrogen peroxide would clean up your wound, but it burned and it hurt. It stings, exactly. And so my, so I'd be running around like a little kid, crash my bike, scrape my knees up. I'd come inside. My mom would be like, that's a lot of blood. And then she'd calm herself down and she'd be like, Michael, Michael, I'm so, so sorry, but it's time to put hydrogen peroxide on. And she would be gentle, and her gentle voice would come out because she loved me so much, and she didn't want to hurt me, but she knew that it was worth it to hurt me for my good. And she would be like, the hydrogen peroxide is what you need. It's not what you want, but it's what you need. And so she put on a gentle voice, and she gently tortured me with hydrogen peroxide. And the problem is there's still people in my life that put on a gentle voice. There's three of them that always come to mind. There's my good friend and my mentor, Tim. There's my wife, Morgan, and there's my dad. And if any of them come to me and start a conversation with a gentle voice, I go, ooh, this is going to be really good for me. I'm going to grow. This is going to hurt. 
Because with gentleness, they come and they say, Michael, I can see clearly where there is a flaw, where there is a fault in your life. And God wants to work in that. God wants to help you grow. And here's how you can grow. And I'm not blowing up on you. This isn't a frustration. I've not been putting up with you so long that I'm just going to yell at you about your faults. But I love you and I care about you so much that I'm willing to put you through the pain of hearing the truth that you need to hear with gentleness. And so you need some humility first. But out of that humility, you can walk in with gentleness and actually help somebody grow and support them through helping them see the fault they may need to grow in. If you don't come in with gentleness, they're not going to listen. At least I won't listen if you don't come in with gentleness. If you come in hot and angry, I'm going to be like, you're just angry. I'm just going to yell back at you. But you come with gentleness, it's really hard to yell back at you. I'm like, I have to listen to what God's trying to speak to me through you. And then there's patience. And it's funny with the whole one another series, I was talking about how God created us to follow him, not as one, but with another. And Jesus set an example of that, that Jesus didn't come as a solo person. He didn't just come and preach on his own and do miracles on his own. It would have been a lot easier for him. I am pretty confident he would have had an easier time on earth ministering to us and showing what it's like to follow the Father if he'd done it on his own. But he chose to do it with his disciples, with, with his closest followers, and they did it together. And one of the ones that was closest to him, his name was Peter. And Peter was an awesome guy because Peter would get so excited. Peter was the hype man. Peter was the guy that was always on board. When Jesus comes walking out to the boat, walking on the water in the middle of a storm, and the disciples are all on the boat like, whoa, you're walking on water. And Jesus is just walking along, and they're like, this is crazy. Peter's the one that's not just like, whoa, that's crazy that Jesus can do that. He's like, Jesus, I want to do it too. Let me out. I want to get out of the boat. And he jumps out of the boat, and he's walking on the water, and it's great. But he's also Peter. He's got some faults. He's got so much excitement and so much faith until he looks down, and then he's sinking in the water, and he's like, Jesus, come on, pull me out. And you think he'd learn, but he got... But this was, this was a real fault. This took patience because you imagine Jesus, he's talking about, oh, I'm going to get you crucified. All this stuff's coming up. He's trying to tell, explain this to his disciples, what's coming up. And, Pete, and he's like, people are going to reject me. And Peter's like, I would never. Never would I deny you, Jesus. Never would, I'm your ride or die. I'm never going to deny you. Never would I. I'm always going to be faithful to you. Like, I'm all in, Jesus. Don't you worry. I would never. And poor Jesus, Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, sorry to break it to you, but before the rooster crows three times tomorrow morning, you're going to have to deny me. Three times. And sure enough, Peter's faults come out. He denies Jesus three times. And Jesus chose to bore with Peter, to bear Peter up, to go, I'm not going to give up on you once I have to fish you out of the sea. I'm not going to give up on you once you've denied me three times. I'm going to keep entrusting you, seeing what God's put in you, what God has called you to, what God is going to do in you, and be a part of that work. And before Jesus left earth, he said, Peter, you are the rock on which I'm going to build the church. And God did that. It came true. 
And that took a lot of patience. To see the future, to see the potential in someone, to honor them for that, to encourage them in that, to speak truth into their faults with gentleness, but then to have the patience to let God work in God's time in their life. That is bearing with. I wish so desperately that I could go back to that coworker that I put up with. Instead of putting up with it, um, instead of with pride being like 29 more days and talking behind their back to my other coworkers, if I'd actually honored them for what God was doing through them, even in the midst of me putting up with them. If I'd been able to honor them, if I'd been able to come with gentleness and actually talk to them about their faults instead of avoiding that hard conversation, then God would have had the, they would have had the opportunity to let God actually work in their life and grow them in those areas. And I robbed them of that opportunity because God gave me clarity to speak into their life with gentleness and I didn't have the guts to do it. I robbed them of letting God speak through me into their life. And I didn't have very much pain. And I wish I could go back with some humility and some gentleness and some patience because I know that we would be much better friends, that God would have worked more through our community there, that we'd have a better future. So in our church, it's interesting. In our church, what does this look like? We have a vision that we write on everything. I'm tempted to put it up on the wall so that we don't ever forget it. We have a vision that we discern that God has for our church community. That with one another, not on our own, with one another, that we would follow Jesus together. That we would love people, and then we'd invite others to do the same. It's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing calling. Just as those in the church in Ephesus were called, we have been called. Being part of the church community means we're called. But we can be normal, basic humans and put up with each other and let the sin of that take control and damage our community, damage our relationships, separate us from each other, tear each other down. Or we can quit putting up with each other and we quit putting up with each other and we bear with each other instead with humility and with gentleness and with patience, then I believe that God is going to empower us to really live out that calling he has given us, to live it out faithfully, that with excellence and with a way that not that humans don't work, but in a way that God works, we're going to follow God more faithfully. We're going to love people more truly and more genuinely. And we're going to invite people into it with us. So I challenge you, in your family, at work, at home, but particularly at church, particularly with the people sitting in front of you, the people sitting behind you, on your right and your left, quit putting up with each other. Quit putting up with one another and start bearing with one another. I'm going to close this up in prayer. God, we're so thankful that you put us together. We have gratitude that you put us with a lot of other imperfect people that you are working in, that you are perfecting, that you put us together to encourage each other with humility, to build each other up, to honor what you have put in each person here, that you've put us in a place to speak with gentleness the truth that we need to hear, to see each other's faults clearly, but to see it with hope, like you have hope, that you see our faults 
not with condemnation of, oh, you're broken and you can never be repaired, that you look at our faults and you say, I want to step in. I have hope for you because I know that I can bring healing. I pray that we'd see each other's faults with your eyes, God, that we'd see each other's faults with hope. I pray that we would have patience, that we'd lean into relationship with each other and bear each other up with patience as we grow towards you together, as we follow you together, as we love each other, as we make this a place where we can invite others to do the same, God. I pray that you would do that in this community at Cedar Valley. In your name, amen. All right, well, that's kind of the big service today. It's time to have an awkward silence and then go out to the lobby. I encourage you to have a conversation with somebody. Ask somebody a question that you haven't asked them before. Get to know each other better. And let's be the church together. All right, have a great Sunday.